everyone and welcome to WeChats. I am your host, Tania Fuentes, and it is my pleasure being here with you today. For this episode, we invited Jennifer Lico, a Celtic folk singer, dancer and songwriter, who is here to tell us all about her music and her amazing projects to promote Scottish culture. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us today. And so could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and most importantly, your connection to Scotland? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is really fun because I get to share things that I love with other people. And I can't think of any better way to spend my time than talking about things that I love. Um, so my name is Jennifer Lico, and my connection to Scotland began um, before I was born because I have Scottish ancestry um, from the Guthries. But that wasn't really how I got involved in Scottish culture. How I got involved was because my aunt was a Scottish Highland dance teacher and judge. And so one year at Christmas, when I was about seven years old, she took a look at my legs and said, oh, you have a great turnout. You're going to be a dancer. <laughs> so we began taking dance classes using the back of the sofa as a bar during all of our holiday celebrations because we didn't live in the same town. And eventually I went on to compete my way up to the, the top level of dancing. And truly it was dance that, that brought me to understanding and really loving Scottish culture. And I think a lot of it happened just because of the the practice and the tradition of going to the Scottish festivals, being around people who were listening to Scottish music, being around people who were involved in Scottish cultural events became so comfortable for me that that's where I felt like I belonged. So um, then I went to music school to study music. My mom was a musician and so I always grew up playing piano and singing, being a part of choirs. So I studied music in college and my voice professor said to me, you know, you're always talking about this Scottish dance. Have you ever thought about singing Scottish music? And I said, oh, no, 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 because they speak in this dialect. It's called Scots dialect. And it's really something I'm not comfortable even saying the words, much less singing. I, I just feel like I would be horrible at it. And most of their songs are in Scots dialect. And she said, no, 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 there's also Scots Gaelic. And I thought, how does my professor know this? And I don't. And I've been going to Scottish festivals my entire life, and I've never heard of Scots Gaelic before. So I did some research and uh, fell in love with Scots Gaelic because the music is so similar. The songs of Scots Gaelic are so similar to pipe music, and it just felt so natural and so comfortable. And that was when I thought to myself, "Oh my gosh, this this just feels so beautiful." I've always been a singer, but I never felt this, this kind of connection when I sing. Um, so then I went to Edinburgh University to study Scots Gaelic at the School of Scottish Studies and went to live in the Outer Hebrides for a couple of months just to kind of absorb what I could of the language. And yeah, that's how it all got started for me. 
Wow, that, that's great. And, and it was very brave of you because Gaelic is a very complicated and complex language, isn't it? Like from what I've heard and I even tried starting learning in, you know, the um, platform Duolingo and I was like, oh my God, this is so hard to pronounce. So it, well done. It sounds very challenging. And, but you must have been like really motivated and really loved it to go through it all. Yes, I, I did love it. And, and actually, it was the music that made me want to learn the language more because I just had such a connection to the music. And I still today don't feel like I'm a fluent Gaelic speaker. Um, I used to think I was really quite good. But then I moved to Brazil and started learning Portuguese and realized that learning a language is really something you have to live every day. You have to live it and use it every single day to really be fluent in the language. And that's when I realized I couldn't do in, in Scots Gaelic what I do in Portuguese. So that's, that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me, realizing that I'm, I'll probably never learn Scots Gaelic in a fluent way, and it makes me sad, but I think it's just the reality of the fact that I don't live in a place where everyone needs to speak it on a daily basis for survival. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's totally true. Like, even if you study a language for several years, unless you're, like, forced to use it and be, like, really immersed in the language, it's very complicated to fully get it. Like, I studied French for several years and but since we're not as exposed to French as we are to English for example like it if you don't practice it's gone and they're like oh but I studied it for so long how could I forget it and it's yeah you you really need to live it but for how long did you live in the Hebrides? I was only in the outer Hebrides for a few months um I didn't spend a winter there I don't know if I could have <laughs> um But I was in Scotland for four years. Four years. Oh, that's wonderful. I only lived there for two years and I completely fell in love with it. <laughs> Where did you live? In, in Glasgow. Okay. In Glasgow. So I was in Edinburgh. And, and I went to Glasgow a couple of times. But I think that you, because I was in school, you know, I had my daily life there in Edinburgh. And, and I loved it. I think it's a, it's a great place to be. It's beautiful. Uh, like the other, it was the other way around for me. I lived in Glasgow and I only went to Edinburgh for, you know, a couple of days and then came back, just took the train and spent a day. But I've never been like more than three days in Edinburgh in a row. But it's a lovely, lovely place. I, I, it's really amazing. But it's, it's funny how they have like these teams. So I'm team Glasgow. For it. <laughs> Yes, and I'll be team Edinburgh. That's okay, because we can get along. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so uh, tell me a bit more. How did, you, did your days as a competitive Highland dancer come about? Well, um, like I said, my aunt really had me involved um, greatly. So every time she went to a competition, she just picked me up and I went along with her. I'm sure my parents were very grateful to have some weekends without their daughter at home. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just kind of became, you know, when, you, when you're a competitive dancer or competitive anything, 
it becomes so much of your life and everything you do, you're thinking about how that's going to affect you in the upcoming competition. So even when I, I played volleyball in high school, I was always worried about twisting an ankle or doing something that would, you know, hurt me when moving to the, to the weekend when I would be competing in a competition. Um, but yeah, that, that, that experience was, it, it really shaped everything I am today and everything I do today. Are you still dancing Not professionally? Just, Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. Don't worry. And, and not just from a professional standpoint with what I do with my career, but just also from a work ethic and a, and a motivation ethic. Like I learned so many lessons as a competitive Highland dancer that I still carry with me today. Great. So did you attend many like Highland games, exhibitions and that kind of thing? Yes, we mostly attended the one on the East Coast because traveling to California or across the, the, the United States for us was quite difficult. Um, so we mostly stayed, you know, in the Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Pennsylvania, the whole East Coast was where we attended festivals. Well, I find that very interesting because, you know, like here in Mexico, our community is, well, rather small. So how, how was it uh, in that part of the world? Is, is the Scottish community very, very big? It is. And where I'm from in North Carolina, we had a huge immigration of Scottish people in the 1700s, a mass immigration. And that really shaped a lot of our North Carolina traditions, a lot of our music, our dance, just our customs. So many people from North Carolina have, they can trace their lineage back to Scotland because of this mass immigration. And of course, as people travel and move, it just kind of spreads out. Um, I think a lot of, um, oh, I think I read that in North Carolina, there are more people with Scottish heritage than in Scotland. Oh, really? So that's, yeah, so that's how strong it is there. And so a lot of people just say they have Scottish heritage because they know it, but maybe they really don't know that much about the culture. They just know that they have Scottish heritage. So I think that's a little bit of a challenge because when they go to the games, then they can learn that there are clan tents and they can learn about their family. They can learn about their lineage. They can, you know, find their tartan. And then they start to make this connection and go a little deeper. And I think it's really special to people to, to find this. Yeah, to find a, a, another piece of their identity and start shaping Everything. Yeah, that's great. Actually, it's very interesting that uh, on the last episode, we talked to uh, Reverend Susan Denon about St. Andrew's Day. And she told us that actually the first St. Andrew's Day celebration started in Carolina, not in Scotland. So well, I found that very shocking, <laughs> but it's really interesting, right? So it was a way of like reconnecting for immigrants. So that was <laughs> very interesting to learn. Yeah, it is. I think it's really, it's really interesting when you start looking at the music and the dance and start making those connections. There are song lyrics 
that if you find the song in Scotland, some of the names have changed, but the tune and the story is still the same in North Carolina. And when you start to see that connection, it really brings it to life. Well, that's that's great. It's very, very nice. So how, how would you say, like having lived both in, in North Carolina and Scotland, uh, how would you say they're similar or what differences can you find or what's the relationship there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, let me think about that one for a minute. You know, I remember the first weekend we traveled to Scotland. I was with my parents, they came with me. And we met up with an older woman on our travels by accident, just by speaking to someone who was living there. And she invited us over that evening for dinner. And I remember thinking, she doesn't even know us. And we have traveled to other places before and met people at a restaurant, but they've never invited us over for dinner. And when we went to our house, there were hugs and kisses and lots of food and just this warm environment. And I remember thinking at that point, they're a lot like North Carolinians because we hug and we're very affectionate and we don't know a stranger. And I felt that connection immediately, like that similarity. From a landscape perspective, there's also a lot of similarities because of the mountains and the sea. I think it's a bit of a stretch when, you know, if I said it was a landscape connection, but there, there is, we have the mountains and the sea. Of course, we don't have as many islands as Scotland, but, you know, just that, that hilly kind of mountainous region definitely, you know, makes me think a little bit about the Appalachian region of North Carolina. And then with the music, I, like I said before, I think just the musical connection is so strong. One of the things I find really interesting, and it's probably because of the musical connection, is that in both Ireland and Scotland, because I lived in Ireland for three years, both in Ireland and Scotland, American country music is really popular. And they kind of have their own spin to it. And it's more like an older sounding American country music, not the more pop sounding American country. And I found that really interesting, except that that's probably where our country music originated from to begin with, were the people who came from Scotland and Ireland. So it, it's like it all comes full circle. Yeah, so, so you find inspiration in uh, both ways, coming both ways, right? like influences coming from both sides of the world. And speaking of that, how uh, would you define like your own musical influences and your style? Do you pick a little bit from everywhere as well? Yeah, I, I, I do actually. It's an interesting question because when people say to me, you know, what were your influences? What were your musical influences? It's a, it's a question that people ask a lot of musicians. And if I were to think back on my childhood, I grew up listening to Motown and bagpipes. And that's just a strange combination. <laughs> 
Um, I grew up in the coastal part of North Carolina, and we have a very specific type of music called beach music. And it's not like the Beach Boys or anything like that. It, <laughs> That's it's what I like, ask. Like, how does that sound? I don't know that genre. <laughs> well, it's kind of like Motown with a big brass section. We, it's normally a band that has a four-piece or three or four-piece brass section. The music has a Motown groove. Um, and it's... And they sing about the same kind of content that they sang about back in the Motown era. But it's like we got stuffed in a, stuck in a time warp and our music just stayed in the 60s kind of thing. Um, it's very interesting and I love it, but it doesn't have anything to do with Scottish music. Like there's no connection there at all. Um, but, the, uh, but a little funny side story is that with that music, we have a very specific dance to the region and the dance is called shagging. And so this dance is like a, a, a swing dance. You know, you do it with a partner and we have competitions and, you know, we have specific weekends dedicated to, you know, dancing all week with all these beach music bands in town. It's a real, it, it's a big deal for Carolina people. And being that I'm from the Eastern North Carolina region, this was a big part of my life. And the first time I went to Scotland, I just assumed shagging only existed in our area. I kind of knew that it wasn't something people did all over the world. But for me, that's what shagging was. And so the first time I went to Scotland, I was out with some friends and I, we met up with another group of friends who were from Scotland. So we were meeting people and I was a lot younger. So we were out at bars, you know, and just kind of being young, young teenagers or adults. <laughs> just enjoying the town. And we went to a music session called Sandy Bells in Edinburgh, very famous for their music sessions. And I joined the session and started singing some of the songs that I had learned and I met a fiddle player and afterwards he and I started talking and he was like, Oh, let's go to another bar. Let's have another drink. Would you like to head out? I said, sure. That sounds great. So we went with a group, a group of my friends and we went to this next location and we were just talking and he said, well, this bar is about to close soon. So do you like to dance? And I was like, well, yeah, I like to dance. And at this point, I'm kind of missing home a little bit because it's my first time abroad. I was, you know, I was just missing my home in North Carolina. And he said, well, that's great. There's a lot of dance clubs we can go to. What kind of dancing do you like to do? And I said, well, um, I don't know if you have dancing like this here, but there's a very specific type of dance that I love to do, but I just don't know if y'all have it here. And he said, well, what is it? I said, it's the shag. And he gave me this really strange look. And I said, do you, do you shag here? And he said, with kind of a red face, yeah, we shag. And he seemed really hesitant. And I was like, I wonder why he's reacting in such a strange way. And then I said, oh my gosh, that's great. I love to shag. And I said, this would be great if you have a shag club to go to. Do you, have, do you know of a shag club? And do you think they're open now? 
And he said, well, I don't really know if we have any clubs for it. And I said, oh, that's a pity. And I said, well, you know, sometimes they're hard to find. You just have to make it happen wherever you go. And, and I said, well, but do young guys here shag? Because in North Carolina, it's hard to find young guys who shag. Normally, it's older men, which is fine because normally they're really good at it. And the young guys aren't very good anyway. I said, I don't know, maybe it was more popular back when older people were young. I don't know why, but young guys just aren't good at it. And I said, are you good? <laughs> and then I said, except my, my uh, god brother, because he won the National Junior Shag Competition. He's really good. So anytime we go somewhere, I'm always grabbing him to shag with because he's the best. So finally my friend, my flatmate was sitting beside me and she caught wind of what I was talking about. And she was from Holland, but she, her father was from Glasgow. So she'd been in Scotland a lot and she knew what shag was in the rest of the world. And she heard me and said, Jennifer, what are you talking about? And I said, he said that they shag here. Do y'all know how to shag too? She was like, what? And, and then she was like, what, what do you mean by shag? And I said, you know, the dance. She was like, like, there's a dance called the shag. And I said, yes. Oh, honey. She was like, <laughs> this shagging here means something completely different. <laughs> and when she told me, my face turned bright red. I, I ran, I, like I literally ran to the bathroom because I couldn't breathe. I was so embarrassed. And you were telling the um, guy that you were the best at it. Yes, yes. No worries. So. It happens sometimes. It's a cultural <laughs> shock, right? Sometimes you just make vocabulary mistakes in your own language. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, things like that happen. I, I have a couple of stories like that myself. It can be complicated. It's the language barrier and the cultural difference. Yeah, but well, but you survived. So did the, at the end, what happened? Did you find a club to go dancing or did you just run away and never came back? No, we did not. I know, actually, we did go to another club, but I didn't shag <laughs> in any sense of the word <laughs> oh that's great but I'm sure there's something similar right like if you said it's like kind of like swing maybe there's like a swing dancing club I don't know I hadn't I hadn't uh, I don't know with them I just didn't bring the subject up again <laughs> never ever <laughs> Well, at least you had a good time, and now you have a, a very funny story to tell. <laughs> It's the best story I have. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I miss that international student life. It's so much fun. Especially I know. <laughs> if, if you're like with people from all over the world, you can you know have uh, stories like this and learn from different cultures from all over, and it's. It's very, very funny. Yes, I agree. Great. So uh, I see that you're involved in a lot of different things. You know, you have your music and the dancing and organizing festivals and things. So you're like very, very active, aren't you? I am very active. And, and I'm just one of those people who have a hard time saying no when somebody says, 
you know, will you help me with this? And it has to do with something about Scotland. Yes. Yes. I'll do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am involved in a lot of things, but, but I really love it. And some of it's self-inflicted. Um, I began Highland Echoes, which is a nonprofit to kind of help um, raise more awareness of Scottish culture outside of the circle because, you know, Ireland did that really well when Riverdance came out and no one's done it with Scotland. And, and so I really wanted to put that together. That was my, it was like something I've been thinking about for a really long time. And I was already working with a fiddle player, actually the fiddle player from Riverdance, Patrick Mangan. We were already doing a lot of work together. And so one night after a show, I just said, you know, I really want to have some dancers. I really want to turn this into more of, not just about me singing. I want it to be a concert where people can see and hear and feel and experience something Scottish. I want them to walk away not saying, oh, she's a nice singer. I wanted people to walk away saying, wow, I wonder if we have a Scottish dance studio that our grandchildren can join. Or I wonder if there's a Scottish cultural organization here that we can be a part of. Or I wonder when the, the closest Scottish festival is going to happen. I wanted it to inspire people to take more action after the show. And so that, that was kind of why we started Highland Echoes. Um, and it, it's worked out really well. We, we don't have the large cast <laughs> that Riverdance has, of course. Um, but we have five dancers now with us, and we have six musicians, um, including a piper, and then, of course, Patrick Mangan, our fiddle player, keyboard player, drummer, um, guitar player, myself. So it's a, it's a really fun show because we kind of go through the story of Scotland in the 1700s and so many people who had to immigrate and where they went to and what happened there and then how it's all come full circle and people are Scottish dancing and singing Scottish music and playing the pipes all over the world. So it's a really neat show because people can identify with different stories in, in oh, history. Okay. So it's not like separate music numbers. It, it has a narrative within the show. That's a good question. It does have a narrative, but it's not so much spoken. Um, it's told through the dance. So for example, we do introduce when we talk about Flora McDonald and Bonnie Prince Charlie, we talk about that. But really, this, we, we only talk about how the dance shows the story and how the song, the Sky Boat song, tells the story. So we, we really just want to give some little windows of history and legends through the dance and the music. Because there are some people that really thrive on that history part and they really want to hear more. And then there are other people that just want to sit back and take in the aesthetics of the experience. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a balance. Yeah, but everything, like as a whole, it's like so rich because as you say, there's the history part and then the visuals and the music. And it's like uh, your, all of your senses are like stimulated. So it's, it's wonderful what you're doing. I think it's a great, great project. And as you say, it's a, a really nice mission to like let people know that, that groups like this exist because, well, I, I don't know where you are, but like here in Mexico, like when my friends find out about what we do at the society, they're like, do they really teach Highland dancing here? Like it, they find it like it's so 
exotic in a way. And some people don't even know uh, that, you know, these classes are available. So it's a very good thing to let people know because even if they don't have any like heritage or connection, may, but maybe they're interested because of the cultural side. So it's great to let people know about these things and you know like promote the the culture because it's so beautiful so so beautiful yeah and i actually live in, in brazil at, right outside of um sao paulo but it, we're in the state of sao paulo but it's a, a separate city and um there are there's there are some dance schools here and there's one girl in particular who is now working with highland echoes because she is so passionate so passionate about the dance and such a beautiful dancer. And she doesn't necessarily have Scottish heritage, but she has just taken this own and done her studies. She went to get her exam in Scotland. She went to Scotland to do her exam for teaching. She's gone back or she's come back to Brazil and now she's translated the entire um, book for dancing into Portuguese for oh. her dancers here. And when you find people like that, you just, you need to let everybody know there's somebody doing this and there's somebody to learn from in your local community. And so it is exciting to be able to spread just this um, beautiful culture with other people. Yeah, to share our love of Scotland, right? And uh, for how long have you been doing the Highland Echoes uh, show? Has been... We have yeah, that's a good question. We started, um, what's, we're in 2018, we began. We've done two tours. And then this year when we were set, obviously we canceled our tour this year. So we did an online show instead. Um, and we plan on going back on tour. As soon as we get a vaccine and we can get some tours going, we will. Um, but as a supplement, um, or one of the things that Highland Echoes supports is a program that I started called Scotland in the Class. And um, it's, it's a standards-based lesson plan program. And you being a teacher, you'll understand that, you know, with, with lesson plans, you have to follow the standards. And a lot of times, um, the content of it isn't at the forefront. It's more of the standard and the concept that you're trying to teach. Um, so why not teach all of those concepts through Scottish culture and history? So we created a program called Scotland in the Class, and it was a team of teachers. I'm a music teacher background, so I did the music lessons, but then an art teacher did the art lessons, and a language arts teacher did the English lessons, and so on and so forth. And it's for elementary schools, and every single year K through five they get a different piece of content they're learning about in art PE music reading and social studies and it's been so incredible and we started doing that because for years like for the past 20 years I've been going into schools giving workshops on music and dance from Scotland and so this just kind of evolved over the years when teachers said well what can I do in advance to prepare the students or what can I do as a follow-up so I started creating lesson plans anyway and they were you know they were becoming successful so um, I wanted to like package this in a way that teachers could use and then the pandemic hit and I thought, oh gosh, what, what are we gonna do? We can't go visit schools anymore, which is what Highland Echoes was doing. We were going into theaters and into schools. 
And so once we were able to make this whole program online, we were able to give Scotland and the class to students directly. So we taught all the lessons over videos, gave them activities to do offline. Um, we gave them a support portal where they can ask us questions about Scotland. And so it's been really exciting. It's so exciting um, to be able to reach students who may never have had any exposure to Scottish culture, but they got it because of school. Well, that's a wonderful project. So are you doing that in schools in Brazil? There are two schools in Brazil that have the program, um, but most of the schools are in the U.S. that have it. No, but this is one of the, the perks of being like online, right? Like we can be <laughs> anywhere in the world we want to be. So this is great. Congratulations. It's a great project. I, I teach older students, though. I'm, I'm a lecturer at the university. But, you know, we can always find ways to, you know, like adjust the content to a more mature audience. But it, it is great what you're doing. It's a wonderful project. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's very exciting. You can see, since we're on a Zoom meeting, you can see my face light up when I talk about it because I, I just get super excited. It's fun. No, oh, I, I know the feeling. Like um, a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to another podcast as a guest to talk about Scotland. And then when I realized I had been talking nonstop for over the time limit, I was like, I'm sorry, but whenever they ask me to talk about Scotland, I can't shut up. I just love it so much. So don't get me started if you're like tired on time. So I, I get that feeling of getting like super excited about it. Yes, well, that's good to hear because I was sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, I think I were reaching 40 minutes and I've been talking the whole time. Oh, don't worry, we're, we're fine. We're just fine. So um, since it's that time of the year, can you tell us a bit about your Christmas projects? Yes. So we released a Christmas program. Highland Echoes released a Christmas program. Um, and we... You know, all of the footage we had recorded when we were on tour, we had it professionally recorded and ready to go. And we didn't ever think we'd do anything with it other than use it for promotional purposes. But I thought this is the Christmas season. And right now, if people can't get out and, and comfortably enjoy a concert. So we wanted to put the Christmas show together. So we took all the footage that we had And then I went into a theater locally with some dancers and a piper in Brazil, and we recorded even more content to create a Christmas program. And it, it was really interesting because Christmas was banned in Scotland for 400 years. So it's not like we have a lot of Christmas, Scottish Christmas content to use. So we called it a Celtic Christmas because we incorporated a lot of English Christmas carols And we also incorporated some Irish traditions and Irish tunes. And our, we had Irish dancers and we had Scottish dancers. Um, so, and then we, of course, we pulled in Hogmanay because that's really the big thing during the season for yes. Scotland. And um, it was really great. We went live with it on November 29th and it's running until January 6th. And um, so yeah, it's still available too. Yeah, yeah, it's at CelticChristmasLive.com. You can get it there. And it's 
I think it's about $12 to watch it. And then you can watch it with your whole family. So it's not like it's per ticket, it's per family. Yeah, that, that's beautiful because, yeah, as you say, we need to find like different things to do and different plans you know, for this um, different Christmas that we'll be spending. So, yeah, thank you for that. I, I'll be sure to watch it with my family. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm the one obsessed with Scotland, but, you know, like I, I think I've succeeded in getting my parents and my sister like involved as well. You know, they, they hear me talking about it <laughs> so much that, that they like it now too. So I, I'll, I'll just tell them that I have a plan for Christmas now. Yes, you can do that. And also our, our show that we released in the fall is free to watch. Um, and you can see that at highlandechoes.com. You can watch it on YouTube or Facebook. And all you have to do is click the link and you could watch it. So if anyone's interested in watching the show and going deeper into some of those dances, You know, we have the sword dance and of course we have the Flora McDonald's Fancy and it's really, it's really a neat show. It's about two hours. Oh, that's beautiful. We'll make sure to share the link with our audience and let everyone know about it so they can enjoy it. Thank you so Great. much. And also, do you have a, a, like a Christmas uh, record coming up or something like that? I, I think I saw something like that somewhere in your website. Yes. So I have a Christmas album called The Lights of Christmas. And um, some of the songs that I do in the Christmas album are in the Highland Echoes show. And um, I also recorded a, a Christmas show as a solo singer. And that's also available. And so you can you can listen to that on Spotify or iTunes if you subscribe to one of those services. Or you can um, watch the Christmas show and um, get the CD if you're a physical CD person at CelticChristmasCD.com. <laughs> I have a domain for everything. <laughs> That's perfect because it makes it easier to remember. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. Is there anything else you would like to tell our audience before we wrap it up? <laughs> well, I will share something because I just think it's interesting and it's something that sometimes we don't think about because a lot of times when we're doing our Scottish events, it's normally at a festival or a Caledonian ball or a Burns night. And we're really into those celebrations. Um, but as I mentioned before, there's, You know, with Christmas, it's a weird time because it wasn't, I think, until 1958 when Scotland was allowed to have Christmas again legally as a public holiday. And that wasn't that long ago. Um, and, and a lot of people don't realize that it was when the, um, when Scotland kind of separated from the Catholic Church. But where I lived in South Uist in the Outer Hebrides for a couple of months, there is, um, they're Catholic. And they just kind of didn't break away like everybody else did. So that little area of Scotland is still Catholic and still celebrated religiously, you know, in their churches Christmas. Um, and so there's this, there's a song that I do in the, the Highland Echoes Christmas show, and it's called um, The Christ Child's Lullaby. And it's been sung at Christmas Eve mass in South Uist in the Outer Hebrides 
every single year at Christmas Eve Mass. And it's such a beautiful song. And I think it's one that if you don't hear my version, look it up and listen to somebody else's because it, it's such a beautiful song and, and it has 29 verses, but most people don't sing all 29 verses. And if they are, they're a little bit crazy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a really neat reminder of how history has kind of shaped, you know, how history shapes the future and how that, you know, that one song survived so many years, that one Christmas song survived so many years in this tiny little island in the Outer Hebrides of, of Scotland, and while the rest of Scotland wasn't allowed to go Christmas Carol. And so it's just so fascinating to me. And I just wanted to share that because it's something that I don't know if people know, and maybe some people do, but I think it's a tradition and it's, it's an interesting little bit. It's a little story that's interesting to know. So I wanted to share that. Oh, thank you so much. That's lovely. I'll make sure to check it out. Thank you so much. Okay, so yes. that, that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It was lovely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, like I said earlier, I love talking about Scotland. And if, you, if anyone who's listening ever wants to reach out to me and ask me any questions or learn more about Highland Echoes, you can reach me at jennifer at highlandechoes.com.
Okay, that was all for today. I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was a pleasure as usual. And if you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with your friends and family and leave us a comment on our social media. And on behalf of everyone at the St. Andrew Society of Mexico, we want to wish you all a very, very happy Christmas. Have a wonderful season and we hope to see you here very soon. Bye-bye.